This interview was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Beatrice. Beatrice had no role in the selection of the topics or the selection of the speakers and has not vetted or reviewed the content of any of the interviews. The views expressed by speakers are their own and may not necessarily represent the views of the IMS. Hello, I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro and I sit on the Board of Trustees of the International Menopause Society. And today we are very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Cynthia Stunkel. Cynthia, could you please tell our guests who you are? Oh, good morning, Dr. Shapiro, and or whatever time of day it may be where you are. Um, I'm Cynthia Stunkel. I'm an internist endocrinologist. I'm clinical professor of medicine in the Division of Endocrinology at University of California, San Diego. So this year, 2023, cardiovascular disease was selected as a theme for World Menopause Day. So I think it's just terrific, but what was the thinking behind this and making it in the highlight of women in menopause? Yeah, we think that there is sort of a moment going on with awareness of cardiovascular disease. The Lancet Commission, the European Society of Cardiology, the American Heart Association, everybody is calling an alarm to say, we have got to start noticing this. Um, awareness in women has declined over the last decade. I kind of don't know how that can be, but apparently it's true. And there are some concerns that there may even be some challenges with awareness amongst our uh, doctors, clinicians, providers. And so we want to ring that bell. We want to uh, raise that flag. We want to say this is really an important uh, factor. And I think it ties in perfectly with menopause, World Menopause Day, because as you know, I think menopause is a portal to the second half of life. It's an opportunity for women to step back, take stock, and make decisions about the healthiest way to move forward. So this seemed like a perfect melding of those goals. Okay. So let's let's start with some of the basics and reminding our practitioners and our providers about some of the basic risk factors that they need to be aware in women, particularly about cardiovascular disease. Good. I think everyone, um, if they've ever sat down with a patient and gone through one of the clinical risk factor uh, calculation tools, knows that just the basic things like blood pressure, lipid levels, blood sugar, smoking history, age, age is incredibly important. Um, and these are some of the main key factors that go into uh, looking at risk of heart disease. And more recently on that list of common risks, uh, groups are starting to list poor diet, uh, inactivity, uh, increased stress. So we know that uh, these are very important. So that would be the first tier. So the white paper focuses on reproductive milestones across the lifestyle and cardiovascular risk in women. I think it's so important for women, clinicians, all of us to recognize that this, you know, the way that we change over time impacts on cardiovascular risk. So speak to me a little bit about that. Yeah, this seemed to be an area that I really wanted to emphasize because it's just been, I would say in the last five years or so that this is just starting to roll out and paper after paper looking at this and evaluating this and saying, you know, we are the composite of our life lived up to this point in menopause. And certainly it's important as younger women go along, but at least at the time of menopause, we need to add some of these factors into our questions about cardiovascular risk. So when we so think some, about those, those reproductive milestones, you know, it's not just starting with menopause. Take us back a little bit. 
Well, we learned that even women who have persistent irregularity or absent menstrual cycles, for example, can be at added risk. And um, ACOG some years back talked about the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. I love that concept that we need to be aware of that and asking women about that. Uh, Along with that, polycystic ovary syndrome uh, was finally last year by the International Commission deemed to be a cardiovascular risk factor. So we've known all along that these women have increased metabolic syndrome, androgen excess, uh, insulin resistance, but now it really seems to be coalescing into uh, a concern. We know that um, infertility is kind of one of the new ones to the list, but this might be important. And one of the real heavy hitters that even groups like, again, the European Society of Cardiology, the World Heart Federation, the American Heart Association has recognized are some of the adverse events that occur during pregnancy. So hypertension of pregnancy, preeclampsia, gestational Mm -hmm. diabetes, and then all the things that lead to um, compromised outcome with the with the baby. So prematurity, um, small for gestational age, abruptia placenta, things like that. So these are really red flags because when when this has been looked at, these can elevate cardiovascular risk down the line by two or three fold. Wow. So not just 20% or 30%, but two or 300%. That's right. something we have to pay attention to. And then beyond that, of course, we're learning more about risks that increase at the time of menopause. So one of the things that that I was very excited to see about and have you highlight was really about breast cancer and breast cancer treatment, because, you know, yeah, yeah, that is so critical for me as a woman who's had breast cancer, had that kind of treatment. Talk to us about why this is on the list and why we need to pay attention. Well, thank you for reminding me about that. I feel really strongly that while breast cancer may not be sort of a natural evolution, we certainly know that having breast cancer and being treated for breast cancer can disrupt our reproductive integrity and can lead to ovarian insufficiency. But there are so many ways that we are learning that breast cancer treatments can affect cardiovascular risk. Uh, So in addition to knocking out ovarian function, which depending on the age of the woman can be permanent, uh, we know that uh, chemotherapy can lead to heart failure. Radiation therapy, and there's been really interesting studies comparing women who had breast cancer of their left breast versus their right breast and showing that they had about a two and a half fold increased risk of coronary events with left sided radiation. And there are other structural issues that radiation therapy can involve. And then we're learning more about the use of some of the adjuvant therapies in the way of um, the selective estrogen receptor modulator, uh, tamoxifen primarily, and then aromatase inhibitors. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting also when this has been teased out, it looks like the CIRM therapies, tamoxifen, really primarily contributes to venous thrombo embolic disease. Whereas the aromatase inhibitors bump hypertension, they bump dyslipidemia, they bump diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And so these women do have increased events. And so um, there was one really important fact that that came up when uh, I was putting the white paper together. And that was that we're doing such a good job 
treating women with early breast cancer, that when we look, if women are still alive five years after their diagnosis and initiation of therapy, they are seven times more likely to die of something unrelated to their breast mm -hmm. cancer than they are their breast cancer. And about one third of those increased deaths are related to heart disease. So these two are really linked. You know, and one of the things that you're pointing out here, which is really a red flag for me, and I hope a red flag for our clinicians, is the constellation, that it's not necessarily one thing. There are multiple things that are happening that really can red flag. So that that really leads to the, you know, the question that how can clinicians, healthcare practitioners incorporate all of this knowledge into their practice so that as they're seeing these women, they're remembering, you know, heart, heart, heart. We really need to be thinking about prevention early diagnosis and perhaps early treatment. Right, um, certainly just being in touch, maybe the primary care doctor may or may not be as familiar with what went on in previous pregnancies. So just taking the time to review that history, asking about the menstrual cycle. Uh, and I think there is a lot of encouragement amongst cardiology circles to really step up preventive strategies early on in those women. They need close follow-up. And for some of them, they might need some pretty aggressive uh, therapies for blood glucose, for their lipids, for their blood pressure. We shouldn't just kind of let them get lost to follow-up. And that's one of the issues that's happened in the past. Um, as the time they get to menopause, it gets a little bit trickier because one of the things we recommend and the uh, NAMS recommends and the Endocrine Society recommends is to look carefully at women's calculated heart risk. Mm -hmm. And again, these factors aren't yet included in the, in the math equation. So we have to build in some judgment factors. And there's other things like family history and LP little a and uh, autoimmune disorders that could really tip the scales for those intermediate risk patients. And I think one of the things we should be dwelling on in our patients at intermediate risk when we can't decide if they're going to nudge into the high risk zone or if they're safe, not just for things like hormone therapy, but how aggressive should we be is to maybe think about um, getting some more objective data. And one of the easy ways to do that might be looking at a coronary artery calcium scan, for example. So, you know. What I'm hearing you say, and before I let you go, I want you to sort of weigh in on this as the bow on our on our package today, is the importance of these early preventive strategies in these women. That as you are seeing these women, and they may be focusing on hot flashes and night sweats, we've got to have something in the back of our mind, because as you say, more women die from heart disease than any other disease. And the threshold to this next phase of their life is also the threshold to increased risk of cardiovascular disease. But you're now saying, look backwards, to your menstrual cycle, to your pregnancy history, gestational, whatever it may be, as modifiers. Correct. Absolutely. I, I think people have tried, for example, to look at the pregnancy risks as uh, putting them in the equation. And my understanding is that hasn't quite worked out. So at the moment, uh, the onus is on us to be a little bit of, you know, the judge and say, wow, you are at high risk. Ideally, and I think one of the things that's really being emphasized now is to say, let's identify these women during their pregnancy and get them referred. And at least in the US where we have a high mortality rate, maternal mortality rate, we have groups springing up that are doing cardio obstetrics for that very reason to follow them before, during, and after. And I think probably everyone's aware of the cardio oncology for the same 
thing for women with breast cancer if they should also have some added input that way. So I think integration of multiple specialties will help. And I think we're gonna be hearing more about some objective ways to tie these in in the future. Well, I wanna thank you for the tremendous work that you did in the white paper. And I would encourage everybody who's listening to take a look at the white paper. You've gotten some of the highlights here, but much more to read about and learn about. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.